Hello everyone, this is Subrat. Today Charles is not there, so we are kind of uh, starting the show. And again, welcome to Adventure in Angular. So today's in our show we have Arman. Hi everyone. And we have Wycliffe Mania. So I'm, I'm I think I am I'm pronouncing your name. I'm sorry for that. So can you please let us know or let let the listener know why you are awesome? Hi, my name is Wycliffe Mania. I'm not really sure why I'm awesome, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm here because yeah, I, <laughs> I really love TypeScript. <laughs> Working in TypeScript every day is amazing. Yeah, TypeScript is amazing. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Okay, and, and if you, you can, where, do you, where do you are now? Can you just tell a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm from Kenya, currently located just in the capital, Nairobi. I currently work for a UK company called Skyhook Adventure, which is basically a travel company, sort of like, I, would, I like to think of it like Airbnb, but more for like uh, traveling guides, that is so that you can go to different parts of the world. And <laughs> I'm blank now. Yep, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, so so we'll just discuss on the which which you're good at, like you're awesome at, like the TypeScript. So, uh, first, uh, I think it's better to start with the, with the newer things. What's there in the market? What's coming? So we'll start discuss on that. So, what are takes on what's coming now in TypeScript, or what will be the future of TypeScript? Mm, I've been thinking about this for a while, but I still have no good picture on where TypeScript is headed in that it's still a superset of JavaScript mm. and it's still a compile time that is compile time uh, product that is after you build the TypeScript doesn't you don't ship TypeScript you still ship JavaScript yeah we are still seeing like more features coming from like the ability to bring like features from ES, ES21 2021 to other versions such as things like now qualifying which have been allowed for a while but TypeScript enables you to sort of like compile that in or polyfill that so that you're able to run it in older versions of Emmascript or ES. That is something like ES6, which is, I think, the, the most commonly used at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the direction which this is more of like my opinion, uh, somewhere I'd really like to see TypeScript head is more like uh, having a runtime on its own so that we can have like a runtime type checking not only like build time type checking, which is what TypeScript currently offers. Yeah, it will be, it will be cool. Like everything, if if like somehow browsers start supporting TypeScript natively, then then it will be a game changer. Yeah, yeah. I think all of us are are working in TypeScript daily. Like all all who are listening, they are maybe Angular developer or want to be Angular developer. 
So you guys are, are working in TypeScript daily and TypeScript is huge. We have a lot of functionality, a lot of feature. So I think I'm seeing a couple of articles you have written here. So like you know, types and mockings. So first, can we can we discuss on that? Like it looks a pretty awesome article and have a nice image there. Yeah, in that article specifically covers uh, use of like utility types, whereby allows you to sort of like have the best of the, uh, both worlds, the JavaScript side and uh, TypeScript side, whereby you have an object or an interface with a set of properties. And what the uh, what the utility types allow you is to create new types out of like these uh, types by picking certain properties. For instance, there is the pick one, which just picks a single property or a number of properties from a large a larger object. So I think a, a good way to think about this is if you had something like a type like person, which had fields in it like first name, last name age and so on you can basically create a new type by just picking first name and last name uh, what this essentially means is that in future you can extend this type to include like more fields in it like anything that you want like uh, date of birth but because you created a new type during uh, passing uh, on a picky the methods that only the fields that the method the method requires it means that you don't have to go back and then change the type so what this allows you to do is when you're testing your application, that is testing that function by using something like pick or omit, you only pass on the, the, uh, the properties that are used inside the method rather than uh, having to pass the whole object. And also as a lazy developer, because we, are, we all are, we tend, to, we tend to sort of like pass only the methods we need and then cast it as any, which basically does, means that the next time you change that, that object, it means that TypeScript won't help you in that case and you may end up with failing tests where, where TypeScript would have easily helped you. Yeah. So peak is a, is a type which, which you can give like an object and what keys we need from that right yeah yeah pick is more like generic oh yeah basically the first argument of the generic is the type the interface that is a large object mm -hmm. and then followed by the fields you want to pick uh, separated by the pipe operator yeah 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 that's pretty cool like if from if from the back end we are getting a very big object and but still we can map it to what we want yeah, to what you want. And the beauty of it is that you still be able to pass in the large object for from the bucket without needing to pick uh, during runtime. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, so it's cool. So, I mean, have you ever used pick? Like pick? Uh, till now, I haven't. But I, from now on, I will, I will use. I believe I used omit mm -hmm. quite a lot, which works, if I remember correctly, it works like pick but in reverse. Oh. Yes, we sort yeah. of mentioned the keys we don't need. And that was, it was usually particularly good when working with the reactive forms, when you have, for example, some data that comes from the backend that has lots of keys that you don't have in your form group. So, and you have a method that kind of patches the value, resets and calls updates value and validity. So you put them in one method and you don't want the argument to that method to be like a huge type and you only want the properties from the form like kind of trying to cover for the reactive forms not being type safe then i just have a big model like a class or interface with all the fields and then i just use omit and like pick only the 
yeah, I use the word pick, but usually, usually <laughs> it's easier to just omit the ones that we don't need rather than to explicitly write that I need these, 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 and these properties. But I am, uh, I frequently use utility types. I think my favorite one, maybe not in the sense of using it often, but just how it really connects types is is the return type. Cliff, do you use that in your code often? No, I don't think I have used it. Yeah, I can't recall instance I've used it. Sometimes like uh, there are too many. Sometimes every time like I have to reference the documentation just to get the right type. And once you something like uh, typeface like that uh, packages that build build on top of those come into play, you have like hundreds of utility types to use. Like my favorite is partial or partial deep, which basically makes all fields, uh, however deeply nested, optional. And also there is also required deep, which does the opposite. Yeah, I just read uh, that in your uh, in the second article about utility types, the typefest library. Yeah, it was it was pretty fascinating. I uh, I thought about uh, using that in our applications at, at my job too, but still can't just get around doing that. I also I also like with the like they use the infer keyword to come up with lots of types type mixing that you couldn't achieve. It sort of allows you to write logic with types like what you could do with them mathematically and that is uh, that is sort of really like scientific we can uh, combine combine the types and make sure we just narrow them down to exactly like correspond to what we want to achieve have you ever written uh, like your uh, custom types in in the sense of like like a generic type that achieves something yeah, I think, let me see if I can remember the exact details of that. But I think I have a tweet around, <laughs> a few tweets around that. Whereby, like one useful instance I remember a while back was at work, we use uh, GraphQL. And our types that are generated from GraphQL don't usually have like a uh, underscore type name. And what essentially I had to do was write like a generic that would uh, go deeply into every type we had and attach a type name type. So that whenever I created that uh, mock with type name, it will not draw an error. I don't have to do is uh, something like with type name, then provide the type I want to add type name, and it will do it as something like all the way to the last nested level. It wasn't perfect because it added up adding them in places that it shouldn't have, but <laughs> I think I stretched about uh, like the combination of uh, types a little bit more using like the key of operator sort of uh, to try and uh, narrow down, uh, tell it to do it on objects and not in a list. But apparently, you can't distinguish between an object and an array in TypeScript. I see. I uh, tried to come up with a sort of type that would, like, if you have a generic type, let's say A, I wanted to create a generic type that would take A as a type argument and would return the the generic type of A. So, for example, if there is a A of string, or a of number or a of like a promise of something, it would return string or number or something like that. Uh, and I, I figured as much that I should use uh, like infer for that, but 
I never came around to achieving that. So do you think it is possible? I guess we had some discussion on our server, but to be honest, I'm not really sure. The, the biggest problem is those are sort of like a advanced mismatch, mix and match on types they are not like clearly documented. And so most of the time you are sort of like experimenting or trying to follow someone else's work. And well, sometimes they'll just give you a headache before they, <laughs> before you can make them work. Aside from aside from using type any, what particular like bad practices do you come around in in both enterprise and open source code that is specifically about people not using like utility types where that could have helped them and it's usually like the most like uh, what is it called common mistake most people make that is and on top of that is there there's this one i've been trying to sort of like collect territory whereby they use an empty object as a type and in that case i usually advise people to use the record a utility type whereby you can say record if you want to create like a map of like a string value uh, instead of like using an empty object which could mean the key could be anything you use a record and provide the the type for the first value and then the second one could be unknown instead of any if you don't know or could be an, an exact type like something like string this leads to a more type safe product although i was i was contributing uh, i think it was last month Uh, to a definitely typed uh, project on AWS Lambda. And I failed to account that if you do that, because their known type was introduced in version 3.2, if you fail to account for that, you may end up introducing uh, breaking changes unnecessary. So for libraries, it's probably kind of okay to use any. Yeah, I definitely used uh, record a lot. Yeah. It's also useful. It was very useful for me when defining uh, in NGRX when I had to define like a state and the loading state. Like I would have these this, this properties for the state and then I would have like loading booleans for uh, like different instances. I would use record for that, like use a record of key off of this object that is the state and boolean. Like it's very, very useful. Uh, but I also think in lots of cases uh, would benefit if people like use the map object, the map class, rather than just dynamic like objects that could have some some keys or not have some keys. This is where TypeScript not allowing like explicitly, sorry, implicitly having dynamic objects like couldn't create an object and just add a property on it, right? unless you explicitly specify that it's sort of a dictionary or something. It's like better for also like memory management under the hood because you don't have to like recreate the object class definition for adding properties dynamically. And that's where MOB comes in, in my uh, experience. It's also type safe, like we can provide the same type that we would provide for record instead to a map and then we will also have better performance and the same type safety yeah i think map is one of the most underused <laughs> features in javascript if you think about it <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh, we're sort of sort of like we encourage to use the empty object for some reason or most of the time you find examples with that map is the like the common data structure in all the language <laughs> like if you want to be run fast use a map <laughs> I also have used map to kind of avoid writing this 
switch case statement. Oh, yeah, that's very useful, actually. <laughs> yeah, I would have a map of values that could be anything, even objects. That that's uh, that's great. The great part of map is that you can also have objects as keys. So, yeah. Of course, it checks using by reference, but still that, that can be useful in some situations. So if I so if you just write like some callback functions and add them to a map, then you can just skip writing switch case just get the the, va the value from the map which is the, the callback function and just call it that's like really sort of very useful use case for the map object yeah 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 okay so i am just coming across like uh, i have used many places that the union type and the integration type so have you ever used uh, them in your project director can you just little bit explain about to our listener mm, i think the last part the union type and the integration type uh, like we have in typescript uh, yeah yeah unions and intersections yep yeah those are like kind of like uh, you have to use them or use them a lot in that where i think i covered this in a previous article the week before that about type narrowing it's quite common to find yourself in a situation where you have a variable that can have one or more types uh, that is a union type. So it could be either a string or a number, could be a date and a string. And the whole, the whole idea about that article is how you narrow the type to a very specific one so that you can do a specific action with that type. Like, for instance, for a date, you want to be a date class, you want that to be treated differently from a string. Yeah, the, the union type is quite useful and uh, in a lot of ways because depending on the source of your data, especially if it's coming from an API, it could be take different forms. Sometimes uh, you have no control about the source. So the data could come in in different formats and you want to be able to cover all those use cases. Intersections, on the other hand, are kind of nice when you want to sort of like uh, combine different uh, interfaces into a single large type. So you could have like, I'm trying to think of a good use case here, but you could have like a person, uh, no, that's a very bad example. You could have a classroom uh, and uh, probably another sort of room. And then the classroom would have only one property and then you'd match the two uh, using an intersection so that you can have extra properties uh, mm -hmm. or create a new type that has uh, all the properties in both while overriding some of those in one. Yeah, I think. By using these types, like multiple types, it also helps us in testing the testing our code. That was a very, very, very good thing. What I see is now test become easy. So you have a suppose object of type. Now when I'm mocking, you know that what uh, things will come to this. And so that uh, you, would, you will not have unsurprised keys and values. Yeah, the last thing you want is to forget uh, a, a certain possible path, which is uh, where once you start using unions, you are able to sort of like exhaustively check for types so that you can make sure you're passing only the correct version. Like, I think one good example of that is environmental variables, which could be either a string or undefined. And most people have a tendency to cast. And I should try and discourage that to people because there, it's, there is a good reason why it's undefined. Uh, it could be undefined. So you don't really want to pass over that value, assuming it's okay. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for core web vitals? Fortunately, Raygun can help. 
These modern performance metrics play an important role in determining the health of your website, which is why Raygun has baked them directly into their real user monitoring tools. Now you can see your core web vital scores are trending across your entire website in real time and drill into individual pages to focus your efforts on the biggest performance gains. Unlike traditional tools, Raygun surfaces real user data, not synthetic, giving you greater insights and control. Filter your score by time frame, browser, device, geolocation, whatever matters to you most. And what makes Raygun truly unique is the level of detail they provide so you can take action. Quickly identify and resolve front-end performance issues with full waterfall breakdowns, user session data, instance-level diagnostics of every page request, and a whole lot more. Visit Raygun.com today and take control of your core web vitals. Plans start from as little as $8 per month. That's Raygun.com for your free 14-day trial. Yeah, I think uh, maybe some JavaScript listener are listening to us. Uh, before I remember, like when you used to tell JavaScript is good because you don't have to specify the type. So when I have a discussion between a JavaScript developer and a Java developer or or a CSAP developer, they told I well, I can return anything from my method and, and Java told now, okay, we have to specify what to return and all. But in JavaScript also, uh, like if, so I'm just want to tell something to all the all the listener. So in, in JavaScript also, if you are doing a specific type of operation inside a method or inside a, a specific type of return from, from a method, then that will be pretty faster than going with a different type every time. So it, it helps on the runtime. So in the, our, uh, I think V8 engine has a just-in-time compiler that what it will, if it is for multiple time, it calls with an integer, or suppose from, from JavaScript point of view, it's a person number. So it's fixed for a number. It will not going to check again all the type possible and those things. But, and that those that speed will be kind of similar to C++ execution speed, but not exact. But if you are calling again with another type of parameter, like suppose you pass a number in, in the beginning, then after some time you just pass an object or a string, then again to come fall back to the default and it will go and check it's all the possible cases and and javascript checks it's pretty complex like everything is possible to a parameter in the point of javascript i'm saying as uh, the benefit of typescript what helps us is if you are defining type you are coding as a type so what you are compiling to javascript and then the call will again always be a type shape so if you are passing number it will always be a number so what my thought was like when I when I was using union type, so will that uh, be the scenario? Like now you are passing two types. Suppose you uh, have two different objects and you pass two objects. Will that uh, affect uh, the just-in-time compiler? But that's still a question for me. Look, uh, are you have any idea idea on that? I don't have uh, like a good idea on that. I can only make a guess. Uh, but like you said, uh, exhaustive checks in JavaScript so that it try to determine what to do with the exact value it has. It can be quite complicated and slow down the aging. But I don't think it's a bad thing if uh, a parameter can exp- uh, a parameter can be a union type uh, as long as you narrow it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, you narrow it to something like a type guard to a very specific type. Mm-hmm. But if you use it directly, it might cause uh, complications that is uh, slowing down in the future, depending on its usage, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Like if uh, if you start reading a language, 
what all there then you start digging you will see lots of things are there <laughs> and and you keep on reading and with okay lot of time to <laughs> dig in <laughs> yeah it's usually like kala bit hole you have to keep digging <laughs> <laughs> but but it's good like it's pretty pretty interesting to to go deeper in a lot of technologies so have you heard about deno Do yeah i have deno yeah. yeah i have i have heard about it i i think i was among the first people to buy into the hype uh, and i'm also among the first people who never ended up trying it <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually supports uh, typescript by default but not 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 technically like what it do is it compile your code to javascript but you don't need to like run typescript compiler so on javascript file where i need to run so your typescript code will by default run inside you know and and uh, and that's uh, good like that's uh, what the what the benefit of that is we don't have a node model there uh, we, everything will will get from directly from the uh, from a typescript file from a cdn or from a hosted hosted somewhere so like all the listener if you are listening just check check deno land you can call it deno or you can call it deno it depends uh, yeah one thing one interesting thing about deno it's still i think experimental or not yet released but i think at some point it was on the roadmap where instead of like uh, transpiling typescript to javascript they wanted to do it into rust mm-hmm. and that for me was interesting because the benefits of rust are enormous yeah. but yeah. also rust comes with like kalanic curve So if you could be able to like uh, transpile typescript to uh, last you would end up like uh, having a lot of benefits of typescript during the runtime or mm-hmm. more like a lot of benefits for uh, last that is but i also think deno is like a fast major step that the uh, javascript or the typescript ecosystem needs being able even to sort of like bring typescript closer to runtime is something we really need and i'm hoping it can push to if the uh, the eventual goal of having type safety during runtime that that probably for me would be the goal <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah it, it's pretty cool it's pretty cool i think deno uh, current version is 1.13 they have launched the deno for like for for javascript but if it's coming for rust i think it will it will be a game game changer then like rust is pretty fast yeah and yeah Yeah, so I think that is a little bit fine for the future. I'm not even sure it's still, I haven't looked into Deno, I think, for the most part of this year. But I came across that at some point late last year. And it will be, I'll probably like after this, I'm just going to lock that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it will be interesting to see how much progress they have made. Yeah, I, I haven't looked that much into Rust, but I what I had to uh, like, uh, read about that, it doesn't have a garbage collector. and typescript and javascript has a garbage collector so how how they are mapping to have any like because what the typescript developer is coding doesn't uh, much we are, we are not thinking much about deallocating our memory so i just uh, think that garbage collector will do it for us but if it is compiling or transpiling to rust i think that will be a challenge for them that now it need to be deallocate or i don't know how rust uh, actually works but uh, but it doesn't have a garbage collection i just going so to say that is going to be a serious undertaking <laughs> just by the concept like those two languages are not like even closely related that you can map one into the other one directly or even closely <laughs> to, to it <laughs> yeah once you start thinking about the garbage collector then well, mm-hmm. i'm not even sure they'll be able to do it i hope they will though 
Yeah, they will. They will. They will. Yeah, so they are some brilliant have, minds in the. Yeah, so I think they have started the Node.js as well. So Deno is the second one. So they will. They will do it. So it's not a, a problem. So Arman, have you ever used uh, TypeScript with Deno or tried? To be honest, I've never used Deno. When the whole hype started, I of course like tried something out, see how it works, but never. I'm not a big user of Node.js either. Uh, I usually only do front end, so sometimes I write some small scripts in Node.js to help with some stuff inside, like boilerplate code or whatever. But uh, I did uh, some kind of simple backend API thing with Nest.js. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it a lot uh, because it was kind of it was similar to Angular in the yeah. way that it had yeah modules and stuff, mm-hmm. which was the bad part. <laughs> and <laughs> it was, but but it also was similar to Angular in that it utilizes RxJS. I really enjoyed how you could use an observable to connect the WebSocket, like. I created a web WebSocket where you would you would the client would make a request for connection and you and they're looking for some specific stream of data like for example someone writing something on on a comment uh, table or or a feature like that so what I just did was sort of return an observable a subject that the the front end would sort of consume in the form of a WebSocket. So in, somewhere else when where the data events arrived on the back end, I would just like use the, the next yeah. method. I would just, oh, yeah. And that was, and that really make the back end work like front ends in a sense that <laughs> usually when you write backend code like 90% scenarios it's like yeah here's a request this is a function that will handle it and that's it there is not too many interconnections between everything that you do uh, with nest.js you can achieve like stuff like that if you receive some requests it's easy to you don't need anything new to achieve that you can just use plain rxjs and that's awesome and also it's great that nest.js uses typescript yeah yeah i was just about to tell that like if you are a TypeScript developer or a Angular developer, so Nest.js is a, a pretty pretty easy will be a pretty easy framework for all Angular developer to learn. Yeah, learn. Yeah, so like, mm-hmm. so I think I think we have we are discussing about generic types in Nest. I have used a lot of generic types to repositories and and those things. So that helps us a lot reduce the number of classes you are creating and reduce the number of files need to be there so your your tree structure of code can not be pretty big obviously that can be handled in that the same scenario can be also be in javascript but the suggestion will not be there so that that is good and also like what i uh, what we are not a uh, lot of people ignore like due to the help of uh, typescript we are able to do Dependency injection, we are able to do inheritance, or able to implementation. Those lot of things are possible due to TypeScript, and I think Angular uh, uses everything what TypeScript provides. It's built on builds on that, so it it is quite quite fascinating. 
effect is how flexible your component can be in terms of angular i'm saying uh, by using the maybe, maybe the solid principle a lot of things which you know, typescript due to the typescript it became possible yeah yeah i think one of my biggest struggles is how switching from not switching but i was learning react because i learned react after like spending like 3 years with angular was like lack of uh, di whereby i had to start running just mocks and just by on i'm still not perfect with those i still have to refer to those and i should like find the solution yeah it works but i should find the solution a little bit dirty compared to dependency injection whereby it's a little bit cleaner with this you are just add up doing those dirty mocks or large mocks which allow the library which can be like overwhelming sometimes that's i think one thing i really miss about angular especially when it comes to writing tests yeah perfect Another guess I think that I would like to mention and discuss is the we kind of glossed over both the generic types and type narrowing but so I'm right now looking at your article about type narrowing and actually learning stuff on the go so first one is the thing that we can use the discriminating unions discriminated unions right Yeah. So I I never imagined TypeScript could like infer the type from just a property being equal to a literal type. Uh, that's a that's a really cool thing. Yeah. For for me I think that I saw us working on that article and doing research. The most thing the one thing that amazed me about TypeScript was the assignment narrowing whereby if we go back to a union of like string and, and number that is a variable of that type and then we assign it a, a number it becomes a number in the next usage and if afterwards we assign it to a string it becomes a string TypeScript is like, like clever enough to see the value that variable has been assigned and it's able to narrow the type, types automatically for you that for me like blew my mind <laughs> yeah that is that is brilliant i mean i i i once i discovered that uh, it does that like switching when one of one of the students at the boot camp asked well if we have like type union or something like is it number is it string how does it understand and then i was like yeah i never really thought about that <laughs> so we just so i just tried it out and i finding out that it works in this way is like yeah typescript never ceases to amaze me yeah it's sort of like has like these features that are help you helps you like light rest typescript code sometimes yeah. that is yeah in, at the end of the day like you are talking about discriminated uh, discriminated types whereby it checks a field and if uh, that field exists in one type but doesn't exist in another it automatically infers the type for you and those are kind of features that are like kind of amazing about typescript is that it helps you write you uh, like better programs without like uh, forcing you to re- uh, to resort to things like type casting which should only be used like as a last resort Yep, yep, yep. Like if I remember one solid case uh, of union union type, you can give a exact value. Like suppose I find need uh, in some scenario only those values are allowed. You can give the exact value, and that is not you know, coming. That means it's uh, it's not also like that. What I meant to say, your your value can be also used as a type, and that can also be worked uh, to help the code to be better. Mm, yeah yeah that's the other thing whereby you can have it be very specific 
to, to us uh, like that uh, template literal, uh, literal type so whereby you just tell it to be this or that mm-hmm. that has been like i think I, in an example i gave was a switch we can only be on or off and instead of using a boolean you can use on or off that is the string so that it can only take on it to those those two yeah, values yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a radio button like uh, com yeah. for a for a ui point of view a radio button yeah. can be true or false so a checkbox or a radio button so that's pretty cool i guess we have covered or we have left something so what you had to say we want to uh, have left something or we have covered i think we haven't covered all the types we know is a very big, big ocean but we have at least scratched the surface are something in your mind you want to tell about typescript <clears throat> maybe maybe the article which i'm supposed to publish this week uh, by say i say I, i'm supposed because sometimes i just get lazy and the week gets by <laughs> and i'm not publishing it but it's sort of like you see you know the what uh, they are called uh, type predicates basically saying something is a string which allows you to create sort of like guards so f- for instance you can create uh, let's say a rectangle which can only has width and width and height So you can create a type predicate that to check for width and height, and if they are both defined, then it returns uh, is true. So you can have like a function that is that takes in an object that is a shape which is of not unknown, and then shape is rectangle, and then returns true or false. So the return type that is a type predicate is, is shape is uh, rectangle, and if it returns true, that uh, that type is true. And if it returns false, the, uh, that type is not a rectangle, and this allows you to sort of like create your own type guards for uh, mm-hmm. objects that you commonly use, so that you can end up like having a better written program, so that you don't end up typecasting. Yeah, so logic in type. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. So I think uh, Armand, do you want to tell something about TypeScript? If not, we'll we'll move towards Pix. The only thing I would like to say about TypeScript is that rely on uh, type inference but not too much <laughs> that's like uh, i think the the only advice you need to kind of going into <laughs> just don't don't write anything that is really explicitly obvious but in most cases you would probably need to like define uh, what you exactly want to achieve yeah that's true. i guess for, for me i think my golden rule is like uh, if you are saying on a variable uh, if you are creating a variable that is a constant it's okay to sort of like use type inference in that case if you are creating a function if you can just specify the return type <laughs> it will get you in a, out of a lot of troubles not writing return type if, if i mean a type it will infer it but eventually if you don't if yeah. you really want your function to return a number just 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 put that it returns a number yeah. because yeah the, the problem is like uh, type inference can have that this cascading effect whereby it in fasting collectively all the way <laughs> so it's good to like make sure that your functions have the correct return type so that uh, you it can sort of like act like uh, some sort of like uh, safety net if something is in the function changes and you are returning a number and you end up returning something like a string or something can be undefined typescript will automatically tell you that but if you rely like too much on inference it will not it will sort of assume everything is okay Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I just want to specify. I saw somewhere in the, in the code review somewhere. I don't. I I'm not remembering. So there is uh, some union type was there, but the type was a like a object or any. So that that is not good. So don't 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 do that. <laughs> 
so that doesn't make any sense like object or any so if i specifying some values of union type specify that type and uh, it will help us later it will, if you if you are specifying type and taking some time to define the type it will going to help some later so when after one month or two months you will see that code you will at least understand else you will see why i have wrote this <laughs> and and that's happened that's happens always yeah, that's like how we navigate that's not there <laughs> how we navigate without offense <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah okay so we'll move towards picks hey folks it's charles maxwood and i just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that i am putting together a podcasting course i get asked all the time i've been coaching people for the last six months how do you start a podcast how do you put it together what do i need in order to get it going etc 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 um I've put together the curriculum and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. Thurman, have you any picks for us today? Yeah. Last week, I finally got some time around to watch... TV and I stumbled upon this awesome documentary. It's on Netflix. It's called How to Become a Tyrant. It's a six-part series about uh, famous dictators uh, throughout the 20th century. So it's structured uh, like it's sort of satirical, like uh, structure. It like it sort of gives you advice, or you should have do this, kill these people and do this and do that stuff. So you will become a dictator. And it is narrated by Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones. And it's uh, his voice really fits because it's a character from the show. And uh, I found it really enjoyable and also pretty, uh, I guess, useful in this age where, uh, again, dictatorship and extremism and censorship is on the rise around the world so having like a fresh over over every like historical aspects of that things is, is really useful so my pick is definitely that documentary it's on netflix it's called uh, how to become a tyrant yeah yeah so if you can put some links uh, in the chart so that it will be help uh, to put it in the show note okay so i will next go with the my pick so it's it's again a book so i i'm continuing picking books uh, in every every episode so it's atomic habit by by james clear so, so it's a pretty pretty good book so it explains like how we can divide a habit into small chunks and 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 stop getting a pretty 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 good uh, habit and how you can stick to that so normally how what i used to do was i start going to gym and after one month maybe not month also 20 30 days so i'll stop 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 that and again uh, slugging and those things but i'm trying to i'm reading this right now and uh, let's see so this this is one of the big Uh, and the, another one will be i think it, it is pretty pretty famous the money heist season 5 so if you haven't watched uh, watch it again or if you have watched watch it again that's the two picks uh, from my side for this week and uh, do you have any picks i'll probably pick a podcast episode that i finished to uh, listen it to this morning mm-hmm. and the title is uh, it's from ship it that's a podcast 
and most of the uh, all the episodes are awesome. But the one I was listening to this morning, it's a uh, doc, doc documentations or docs are not optional. Basically, talks about uh, this software engineer. I don't remember the name. Works for Vaso, and they were, and before that, he was at GitHub. So he was sort of like uh, working on GitHub Actions documentation, and he was telling, uh, and he was telling the story on why organizations should prioritize documentation and bring them closer to the code, so that it's uh, the people who are like uh, writing the code should be writing the documentation. If that is uh, your team is not hard enough to have like technical writers. And this is mostly for like uh, uh, developer-facing products, where documentation is very important. And you know how it can get it can get frustrating to like uh, dig up uh, new documentations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doc- documentation is good. It's not only for others; it's for us also. That like I told, <laughs> after one month you'll forget what you have written. Think about after one year, <laughs> totally forgot the product was there. <laughs> Yeah, it's all the first time someone has asked me, why did you do this? Yet they are the one who did it. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember like at work I was in charge of like moving on from like React to Next.js. So almost like every co- line of the code on the website ha- is attributed to my name. Yet I, did, I didn't write half of that. <laughs> so every time someone asked me, I'm like, no, I didn't do that. You did that. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I'm looking for a podcast link right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah oh, let me see. Okay, so it was it was a pretty pretty nice discussion about TypeScript. So so guys, thanks for listening to us. Thanks, Maina. It was pretty pretty nice to talk to you. Thanks, Herman. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye, guys. Peace up. Bye. Thank you for having bye. me. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.